Good morning again uh, here today on this first Sunday in Lent. Uh, we are beginning that 40-day journey towards the cross and then the resurrection of Jesus. And, you know, church practices, I think church practices can be so kind of funny sometimes. In the Middle Ages, Lent was about fasting and prayer. Uh, that meant that what you would be giving up would be something that was necessary, that you normally used, that you normally uh, had, um, and you would give that up so that you could learn to live without, to focus on your spiritual growth, to have some humility, to understand kind of what you can and can't do. And so you would give up things like regular meals, uh, and you would go hungry for days on end, just having liquids. You would have, a, I mean, this would be a real fast. And you would spend that time that you weren't eating in prayer, and you would spend that money giving that to charity. That was, that was the idea behind it originally. So if you were rich, it would help you remember Jesus' poverty and help you remember how the other half lived. Or in the Middle Ages, the other 99% lived. And, um, uh, and so, because part of it, of course, was that uh, back then, most people didn't always get three full meals a day. Unless you were rich, that wasn't always the case. I mean, in America, it's still the case, right? I don't know how many children today, even in our country, if they didn't get school food, they wouldn't get uh, three meals, right? I mean, that's still, that's right here in Tucson. But, you know, the idea was that if you were wealthy, then you would sort of get a chance to learn how everyone else was. Um, and then somehow, somewhere along the line, Lent became about abstaining from pleasures that really don't mean that much and don't really teach us to a spiritual lesson. You end up with people going like, oh, yes, Lent, I guess I have to give up sex and chocolate, hee, 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 right? Um, and, you know, I sort of go, well, okay, but what does that teach you? You know, what, what is the lesson? What, what is gained from that? Um, you know, that, that it, what, is, what are we saying? That the only way to God is to give up things that feel good? That that's the spiritual path? Um, I mean, that wasn't how it was seen in the Middle Ages, e even back then. You know, it was, well, it was a spiritual discipline. It would teach you to learn poverty for a while, not be so callous towards the homeless. I just saw a meme on Facebook somebody posted. They said, let's do a reverse Lent and pick your favorite vice and let's go indulge in it together. And everyone's like, that sounds like fun. That's ah, my kind of Lent. I'm like, and then I'm like, that is not really the original intention of Lent. It was originally designed more as a process for fasting and spiritual discipline. And, and, and your inversion is really an inversion of what it really was not intended to be. Cricket. You know, long, rational posts just don't get the response, do they? Um, that's the internet for you. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't personally uh, fast. I tried it once. I tried it once in college. They had this thing where you could give up your uh, meal plan credits and then it would go to, uh, what was it, Oxfam, I think it was, and then, and then the idea, and so, and then you would learn fasting, and I got to evening, I couldn't handle it, I ordered a medium pizza and ate it all, <laughs> and, uh, and unfortunately, my takeaway was that I, once upon a time, could eat a medium pizza in one setting, uh, and still weigh 160 pounds, I don't know how I did it, um, but that's not a very spiritual lesson. Uh, but well, let's look at what the prophet Isaiah says about fasting. Because the, pra the, pra the practice goes back well. I'm, why am I looking up? That's not working. 
You'll just have to listen. Is not this the fast that I choose, he says, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin, then your light shall break forth like the dawn. So when you look at what it means to fast, to go on the spiritual path, you realize from Isaiah that it's more about justice and community and not just resisting pleasures and vice. Uh, it's about people in power using their power for the common good and not for themselves. And this is what you will see in Jesus encountering when he starts out. In the Gospels, as I was telling the kids, his ministry starts at 30. He gets baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan, and immediately it says, and then the Spirit led him out into the wilderness. And everyone was, and, and, and uh, what does the Spirit do? It says that the Spirit, it says, led him out there, and for 40 days he ate no food. So Jesus is commissioned and sent off. And uh, he's sent out to be tested. Now, I'm going to use the word test here. I know temptation sounds a lot cooler. Uh, test is a little bit more literal uh, because nothing that happens to Jesus is dangling vices in front of him, you know, to see if, ooh, can the young man stay chaste and sober. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's a test, right? It's a test to see if he can handle what's going to happen. It's a little bit like... I imagine if you went to, say, naval training school. I looked this up. Did you know that uh, it's 10 weeks now, basic training in the Navy is 10 weeks. They post it all online. It isn't like you just sign up and you have to wait for some chiseled veteran to go, oh, I'll tell you what it's like, kid. No, you can go online. The first week of naval training will include the following things. They break it down week by week. It's a different Navy, I guess. Um, like this week you'll have classes. But there is, they definitely do include stuff about physical training in there, right? Because that's a lot of what you're going to do. You're going to have to learn to swim, and you're going to have to learn to crawl through the mud and crawl through the mud with a gun while a guy with a southern accent goes, Boy, you're a maggot! You're a maggot, boy! At least that's the stereotype that every bad army movie's ever given me. I don't know if they do that anymore. But either way, what's the point of that? It's a test. It's not to tempt you. There's nothing tempting about a climbing wall. Right? It's a test. Right? And when you get done, it's so that you can learn to you know, discipline and other things, but they're going to hand you big weapons, and you need to know how to use them properly. It's a test. So Jesus gets three tests. And what's its first test? The first test is the bread test, right? The Satan, this guy who hasn't appeared in the Bible since the book of Job, right? Since he beat up, since he beat up Job and killed his family on a bet with God, his name literally means the tester. That's what Hasatan means, the tester. And in the Old Testament, he does God's bidding, essentially, and he can't do anything without God's permission. So when you see him here, you're gonna, your mind's supposed to go, ah, God's behind this. God, God at least let the Satan go there. And Jesus is hungry, and, and uh, so Satan comes up and says, hey, hey, dude, you've got magical powers. Why are you sitting here hungry? Just turn that rock into bread. I mean, nobody's going to miss that rock. You know, uh, just, you know, it won't be that big of a deal, you know. You just, get, why, why, why hurt yourself this much? I know I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but the idea was to use magic 
to transform something. And Jesus could, but he rebukes this tester man, and he moves on. He decides not to use magical powers to shortchange the experience of the journey that God has put him on. And then comes the next test, the kingdoms of the world. Right? And he gets all the king, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, Jesus, just think about it. You could solve all the world's problems. You could fix everything if you, if you were in charge. Right? That would be the temptation. You know, you could have all the power and just imagine the good you could do. You could get Putin out of Ukraine and even get Kim Jong-un to go on a diet. I mean, his people are starving. Imagine the good you could do, Jesus. You could feed all those hungry kids and do what every Miss America contestant has tried to do, bring world peace. Think of the good you could do with that power. I'm sure that was tempting, right? And, you know, say, Jesus thinking, man, if I was king, I, you know, and he would have been a better king than the others. But taking the world by force was not Jesus' mission. And to take power and to keep the power, he would have to start doing things that all those bad kings do. You know, shut up the dissidents, lock up the rebels, keep down the peasants, and then pretty soon the good kings become the bad kings. To be the good king, you end up having to become the evil king and get involved in politics in that way. And so Jesus says, no. No, worship the Lord your God only. And then, of course, comes the third one, right? Where the Satan takes him up to the top of the temple and Triple Dog dares him to jump it, right? Dude, Jesus, man, don't be afraid. Angels are going to pop it. They'll pick you up. God will protect you. Don't be like those sheeple, all afraid of the dive, man. It's cool. You'll have the best jump ever, man. I don't know why I always picture Satan at that point, like being a like Boulder, Colorado, rock climbing dude living in a van, you know, at the base of Yosemite. Man, I climbed three. I did the whole thing with my pinky toes. Yeah. Jesus simply looks at him and says, you know what? Do not put the Lord your God to the test. How many times have I heard people do stupid, dangerous things and say, I know I'm doing something stupid and dangerous, but God's going to save me? I mean, even Carrie Underwood, even Carrie Underwood did not give Jesus the wheel until after she tried to use it herself. She, she, the point of the song isn't jump in your car and put your hands behind your back and press the, press the pedal and see what happens. I mean, even she didn't take it that far, right? Don't do stupid stuff and put God to the test, right? But what do all these things have in common? They're all about using and abusing power, especially those first two. Jesus is given a choice to take a shortcut route to his mission, to avoid the hard work of everything that's coming for him, all the teaching, all the traveling, all the arguing, all the getting mobbed by the sick people and the hungry people who are wanting and wanting and wanting, the getting harassed perpetually by the authorities, and he turns it all down, and instead he goes the route of powerlessness. You see, what Jesus is doing here in this section is pretty common in spiritual journeys. Uh, in the ancient world, a lot of different cultures, it's called a vision quest. 
you know, the, the young, it's usually the young man, not always, sent out into the wilderness, and you would go out there as he, so that you could get a vision. You would actually stay out there until you had a vision. And that would help you define your purpose in life. It would be a transition, right? And the vision could be sometimes good, sometimes it wasn't good, but it would help you understand what your path was, whether to affirm it or rethink it. And we imagine, you know, I always used to imagine these kind of vision quests as almost sort of like a wilderness survival thing, you know. We give you the class, now all I'm giving you is a Bowie knife, and you know, a Bowie knife and a couple of boots, and you guys will see you in 40 days, kid. You know, that's kind of what we think, you know, that's what I always think about it. But if you look at Jesus' quest here, there's one key thing that's different about that. Jesus had what the wilderness survival test doesn't, which is an easy out. Imagine if you were sent on that wilderness quest with your Bowie knife and your books and a satellite cell phone so that you could call Daddy. And Daddy Corp would come with a giant helicopter and bring you anything you wanted to. Right? That's what Jesus is going in with. He has the simple tool to get out of any part of the suffering he wants at any time he wants. He's going in with the safety on. And so the real test is, is he going to use it? Are you going to use the power you have to shortchange the spiritual journey you're on? Are you, or are you going to take the easy way out and limit your encounter with God and the powers and the ghosts of your past that you have to start reckoning with? Are you going to really spend the time to reckon with what you're doing in your life and your calling and the people who need you? Or are you going to use that power to get out of the wilderness easy and free? That's the test. What will you do with the power? That's the test. Or will you take the path that God has laid out for you, the path of not using power at all? That's the test. You have the easy way or the hard way. Will you go the way of sacrifice and giving and solidarity with the sick and the poor? Jesus knows what God's path is. And he turns down the power and takes the powerless option. That's the path he chooses. And I have to remember this. Every time I'm in a power, a position where I can do good or bad to somewhere else, where I've got power, will I use that power with humility and compassion and sacrifice? Will I seek to love my neighbor into faith instead of trying to somehow use force this is the real test, to not use power when you have it, to not act when you can. So let me give you a really banal example, but one that, one that I hear a lot. When you're done with Sunday services, or should I say, when you're done with Sunday services and the sabbatical forum, then when you go to Jerry Bob's or Breakfast Club or whatever that new place is at River by the Lobster, um, Happy Fun Egg Place or something, I don't know what it's called. Um, how do I treat the server? How do I treat the server? Oh, if you could step coming back. How, how do you, how do you, how do you? Yes, yes, go, go see mom at the animal crackers, yes. <laughs> how do you treat that server? She needs your goodwill to get that tip. So there's a little bit of a power dynamic there, right? You've got a little bit of a leverage, a little bit of an edge. What are you going to do? 
Are you going to be are you going to be nice about it? Are you going to set a good example? Because the internet is full of stories of servers who will swear whatever you do, don't do Sunday after church because those people are stingy and rude. Church people are the worst. And they post this over and over. Church people are bad. Church people are bad. And I'm sure if I was a server and I had some big group and they were nitpicky and demanding and then gave me a small tip, I would go, yeah, I want to check that church out. It's not a huge power, but it's a power, and it's a choice. And how do you use it? Do you use it for good? Or do you use it because now I finally I finally get someone I can yell at who can't yell back at me? Because I can't do this to the boss, right? You know what happens if I get picky and demanding with the boss. I don't have a boss anymore. So how are we going to do that? If we can't even use power with decency with servers, what else in our lives are we not using it with? The truth is, all relationships in our world have some sort of power dynamics, and we can choose to use it without power, without force, or we can choose it to use it with. And if we and if we use it, use that power to force it, we're giving in to the tester and what he wants. So for Lent, here's a practice, a spiritual discipline. Examine in yourself those places you have power. Reflect on what you've done and do in those situations. Because the path of Jesus is the path of powerlessness and justice and faith. Amen.